Back to Romans 11. Let me start like this. Um, Romans 11 is not easy. I mean, um, uh, there have been parts of it that I have struggled with in trying to communicate and explain them and teach them. Um, uh, particularly verse 17 was um, was pretty hard. Uh, actually, 16 and 17 were pretty hard. But I want to tell you something. If you have persevered, I, I applaud you, first of all. Uh, for staying with me over Romans chapter 11. But um, we have seven more weeks before I uh, give up the ghost uh, over Romans 11. And you have reached, or we have reached, the real um, beginning of the apex of this chapter. Um, This stuff that we begin tonight in verse 23 uh, is is why Romans 11 is so interesting to people. And there, I I have to tell you, I think some very, um, very wonderful things being said and taught in the text, but some things that aren't particularly widely known among the people of God either. Um, I am not a particularly uh, um, uh, energized... uh, (laughs) Prophet, that is, someone who likes to talk about the future. And, you know, uh, I've been in the ministry since 1975, and I have not yet preached the book of uh, Revelation. Um, And I probably won't before I die, because I still don't understand it. Um, But, I mean, there's a lot of interest that goes with, you know, prophecy conferences and this, that, and the other. Well, my point in saying that is simply this. I will be closer to um, discussing prophetic things... In these next few verses that I've ever come really in the in the course of my... Well, that's true. I, I did do Daniel one time. Um, but there is some stuff in here, guys, that, um, that, that is very, very intriguing. And not just, um, not just to tickle our fancy either. And we'll talk about that as, at the end. But, um, so the, the, we, we, have, we have sloshed through uh, the first 22 verses. But from here on in, guys, things really get, um, maybe I shouldn't overstate it because then I'll bore you again, but um, things get pretty interesting from verse 23 forward. So what I want to do is I want to read you verses 23 to 26, which is what we'll cover in a couple of weeks. So let, let me read that to you. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now perhaps you can see the the kind of things that are at stake. Um, Maybe you can't. Maybe that's my job to to, uh, unfold those for you. But go back up with me to verse 23 and let's begin to go from there. Um, In verse 23, Paul returns to the main argument of chapter 11, and that is the restoration of Israel, the restoration of Jews. 
He has hinted at that. That is, he has hinted at the restoration of Israel in a couple of places in verse 12 and in verse 15. He has hinted at the, the ultimate restoration of, of Israel. Um, and so he come, but he has that little pause beginning really at verse 18 and forward or 18 through 22 where he rebukes the Gentile Christians for being arrogant. That's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. But now in verse 23, he returns to his argument. The main theme of his argument, the storyline of, of Romans 11, and that is what is going to be the future condition of Israel or the future, future uh, position of Israel. That's what we resume in verse 23. And notice he says in verse 23, and even they. Now, who is that they? Well, guys, very easily and clearly, he makes reference to Israel. He makes, he's making reference to the Jews. And he says something, and if even they, even if Jews, even if Israel, if they do not continue in their unbelief. Now, guys, um, well, let me, let me read on. If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in. Now, guys, um, first of all, I want you to notice um, that the, the, the question that is addressed in verse 23, um, it's not a question of what um, uh, one's nationality, it's not a question of one's performance, it's not a question of one's works. The issue is God is able, or God has the power to graft them in. you got to keep that in mind, guys, because this thing that's going to happen to Israel is going to involve an unbelievable display of visibility on the part, on the part of God. But also notice, the thing that keeps Israel away from the people of God is their unbelief. Folks, um, only unbelief separates people from God. That's the only thing that separates them. Not the fact that they haven't been baptized. And, and I'm, I'm um, Set that aside. But the, the, um, he says, even if they, even if they will stop their unbelief, God is able, God has the power to graft them in. Now again, guys, let me point this out. Notice who it is that does the grafting. It is God doing the grafting, and the, re- the restoration of Israel uh, requires nothing less, nothing short of the power of God operating on them. Now, but here's where, the, here's where an issue arises right at the end of verse 23. For God has the power to graft them in again. And that little word, again, causes a great deal of conversation and consternation. Now, guys, you may not give a flip, and, and I don't, maybe, and I'm not, Making light of that. You may not care. But in theological circles, that one little word causes a whole lot of pain. Well, a whole lot of discussion. Because it is that word again, right at the end of the verse, verse 23, is used by those, by some camps, to suggest um, that you can have a salvation, you can lose it, and then you can get it back again. All around that one little word, again. That is, he um, uh, he has the power to graft them in again. And so, uh, picking up on that word again, uh, some camps would suggest to you that you can have, you can be a saved person, you can lose that salvation, and then you can get it back again. All based, as I said, on that on that word again. Now, let me tell you, folks, 
First of all, not only is that wrong, it is impossible. And it's impossible for this reason. When God puts this life of his into us, it is not a temporary life that he put into you. It's a permanent one. Listen to this text, guys. I'm going to quote it for you. It's out of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says simply this. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun the good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. To say that you can have it and lose it and get it back again is to suggest that God did some faulty work in the beginning. It is to suggest that he did something that, you know, didn't quite stick and so, you know, he's going to have to fix it up because, you know, it didn't, didn't take the first time. Guys, as I just quoted you out of Philippians 1, when God begins a work, he perfects that work. He never does a half of a work. He doesn't make a half of a river. He doesn't make a half of a mountain. He doesn't make a half of a moon. He may, and he doesn't make a half of a Christian. He doesn't put this life in you and say, well, dog, it just seeped right out through the pores of your skin. I'm so sorry. No, ladies and gentlemen. When God does the work, when he puts this life of his um, in you, um, there's nothing defective about it. Um... He didn't do an imperfect work. He, he began a work that ends in perfection. Um, all right. Now, now move on with me. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, that's a reference to, to the Gentile Christians, and grafted, and this is what I want you to see, this next, contrary to nature. You Gentile Christians who are here tonight, which is all of you, um, you know what you are? You are a display of something that is contrary to nature. Nothing happened to you that happened to you naturally. Do you know what happened to you when you got put into this this tree of the people of God? Something beyond, contrary, supernatural happened to you. The thing that went on to bring you out of a life of darkness and into a kingdom of light was this this thing, it's called regeneration, but this thing that is contrary. It is contrary to nature. God has done a, a contrary to nature thing in you, folks. He's done it in all of us. And, and he, what, what he's saying in verse 24 is, um, if you think uh, bringing you, if you think bringing the Jews or restoring Israel is a hard thing, <laughs> it's no harder than what he did with you. In fact, what he says in verse 24, in a lot of ways it's easier, humanly speaking. Uh, remember in chapter 9, verse 4, it talks about Israel. They, the Israelites, uh, they have the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. He says, listen, bringing them back into the people of God, really, humanly speaking, is, a, is pretty easy compared to what he did with you guys. Because you came from abject darkness. Well, at least Israel's got the Ten Commandments and they got the Torah and they got the covenants and they got Abraham, they got all those stories. You Gentiles have nothing. But the same thing that was necessary to bring you into this is the thing that he will do to bring them into this. And it's a thing that is contrary to nature (laughs) and ladies and gentlemen he does it 
he does this contrary to nature thing. And it's called, as I said, it's called regeneration. When he takes somebody who really has no interest in spiritual things and and changes them. You know, um, Joanne Wood gave me last week two little newsletters um, from uh, Love and Action. Um, and one of them contained a testimony of a young man who has come to know the Lord through Love and Action. And you know, everybody has, everybody knows stories like these. In fact, maybe you were one of those stories. But this young man that has that God has brought to Himself. Oh my! You know, there was a sense in which Jimmy Young, I had, I had a little interest in religious things. You know, I wanted to be a church member. But the same thing that happened to me is the same thing that took this young man completely out of homosexuality and drugs and suicide and. It's a contrary to nature act. It's a supernatural act. That means you don't do it. That means he. That means he grafts you in. You don't. Um, you don't. You, you don't uh, um, affect this. Um, God affects this. This thing that is contrary to nature, and that's what He's done in all of us. He's affected this thing that is contrary to nature. Now, move with me to verse 25. Um, at this point, ladies and gentlemen, well, not, not all the way to the end, actually to the end, but Paul begins to do something that is very rare for Paul. He begins to act as a predictor of the future. He begins to act as a prophet. Now, Paul, I've said this to you before, Paul was not known as a prophet. He was known as the great teacher of the church. But in this place, he begins to predict something that is going to occur in the future. And then at the rest of the chapter, he's just celebrating this great thing that God is going to do. Now, that, at this point, ladies, folks, we, we begin to arrive at something that I'm not sure is widely known among us. Now, read it with me. And we're going to save verse 26 until next week. In fact, we're going to save some of 25 till next week. But, but everything in verse 25 is important for you. Um, he is acting as a prophet. And notice that he begins by repeating his concern about them being high-minded. Lest you be wise in your own conceits, uh, I, want to, I want you to understand the mystery, brothers, etc. Now, apparently, these Gentile Christians were quite taken with their new position as being inside, being insiders. They were, as I suggested when we looked at verse 19, thinking that they were somewhat superior. Um, imagine that. Imagine people who have been the objects of pure sovereign grace being guilty of thinking they're hot shots. Imagine that. It happens, folks. And so... Paul begins this piece of prophetic utterance by saying, I'm going to tell you something, and my purpose in telling you this is so you will not be wise in your own conceits. I want you to understand this mystery. Um, he calls the information that he is about to give, he calls it a mystery. Now, guys, this is not a mystery like CSI or, 
or, uh, you know, like a whodunit or, uh, um, you know, none of that. It's, it's simply, he's using the word to describe something that is unattainable by, by man's natural abilities to discern. He's, he's referring to something that God has been pleased to make known. He calls it a mystery. Now, guys, keep that word in mind and, and, and your finger there. And I want you to go find um, Romans chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 11. Now, stay close to Romans 11 because we'll be back in just a quick second. But guys, there is a, there is a, there's a couple of verses in Scripture that people just love. Uh, these, these are two that people seem to know and they've, they've been to, um, they've heard them preached and, and they go like this. Come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I'll take my yoke upon you and learn from me and, I will, and you will find rest for your souls. People love those two verses. Those two verses are found in a paragraph. And it's found in a paragraph in Matthew chapter 11. And I want you to see how that paragraph, it's interesting how those two verses are separated from the paragraph so frequently when preached. I want you to notice how he begins. That is how Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 11, 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What are you so thankful for, Jesus? I thank you, Father, that you have hidden. You have hidden things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. I'm really excited, says the second person of the Trinity to the first person of the Trinity. I'm real excited and grateful that you decided, God, to hide some things. Then Paul says he has chosen to reveal this particular mystery. Gang, um... There are a lot of mystery religions out there. I'll mention one in a moment, and some of you may not like it. But Christianity is not a mystery religion. It is a revealed it is It is a religion that is revealed. Um, it's not discovered like Mormonism, you know, discovered those golden tablets from the angel of Moroni. It's a, it's a mystery religion religion and what separates Christianity from so many of the mystery religions is that the mysteries that God makes known are mysteries that we're supposed to broadcast. They're not supposed to stay mysteries once they're revealed. Gang, be very... um, Be very cautious. Be very leery. Actually, you need to avoid them like the plague. (laughs) Beware of any group who only gives out its information to the initiated few, like the Masons. Christianity has uh, some mysteries that were revealed and intended to be broadcast, not to be limited to a select little small cabal. This mystery, this word that he uses, is something that he has revealed about what he's going to do with Israel. And why is he revealing that? He tells you in the first part of verse 25, because I don't want you Gentile Christians to keep on being arrogant. 
So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you in on a futuristic secret of something that I have up my sleeve. And now, now notice um, in in the in the in the English translations, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. And there's a colon. There's no colon in the Great New Testament. That little piece of punctuation is put in there for your convenience, but it is convenient because here's the mystery. You ready? A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. There it is. That's the, that's the piece of mystery that apparently somehow was revealed to Paul, and Paul was given the Spirit's permission and the Spirit's urging to, 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 to explain it And part of the reason is because you and I need to know that God still has something up his sleeve with Judaism or with Israel so that we Gentile Christians um, lest we be wise in our own conceits. Very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we Gentile Christians, the Gentile church, is in some ways nothing but a hiccup. It's nothing but a parenthesis. And I know that I know that dispensationalists use that language, and I'm not a dispensationalist. But if you'll notice over in, um, that we'll get to later, um, in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He's referring to what God has in mind for Judaism. And those gifts and those callings, they're, they're irrevocable. That is, he was working with Israel. There was a partial hardening while he worked with the Gentiles. But he's about to work with Israel again. Um, there is, the mystery has to do with this, folks. And, and we're going to come back and look at all these words a little bit more closely next week. But there's a partial hardening that has come upon Israel. Uh, and that partial hardening will take place until the fullness of the Gentiles. Um, one thing will wane and end, that is, Gentile conversions, and then something else will begin. Jewish conversions in, 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 in bigger numbers. Now, guys, here's where I'm getting really squirrely. Because I want to suggest to you the fact that Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is back under Jewish control, which I think took place in like 1949 with the whole Zionist movement. I don't know when they really got control of it, but somewhere in there. Hear me. (laughs) That may suggest... May suggest that this period that he's referring to, that is, until the fullness of the Gentiles, that this age of the Gentile is drawing to a close. As Jesus predicted it would, let me, let me read you that real quick. Um, 
Let, let me tell you why I, I say this. This is out of Luke chapter 21, verse 24. Don't turn. Let me just read you. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles. Until the time... Now, once Jerusalem was was came again under Jewish control, may signal that the, the, the time of the Gentiles is, is drawing fast to a close. Now, let, let me tell you why I say that. Um, because that's what I experience. That's what I see. Guys, um, it, you have to be kind of my age to, uh, to remember this. But many of us, many of us were swept into the kingdom in a revival that I, took, I think took place in the 70s and early 80s. I became a Christian in 1970. You remember, they, they made a movie out of this guy now, the guy that carried the cross, uh, what is his name? Uh, Arthur Blessed. They made a movie out of him now. That was back in the 70s. Camp's Crusade was just blowing and going, expanding like crazy in, back in the 70s. I think, I, think, um, I think there was so much Gentile conversion during that period. Now tell me, what's your observation? This is just, this is my opinion. You can take it or leave it. But do you see that kind of numerical strength being added to the church via conversion? I don't. I don't see it. You have churches that are getting bigger. And how are they getting bigger? (laughs) By transfer growth. Uh, you see a trickle of conversion here and there. I'm just, I, all, I, I say all this to say, I wonder if that's not, a, not indicative of the, 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 what does he call it? Um, the period, the, the, the time of the Gentiles being coming to an end. Guys, you've heard me say this before, and, and, and let me say it again. I am, um, one of the evidences that Christianity is so much vastly, it is so unique as compared to, to Buddhism or Islam or, or Taoism or whatever, is that the center of Christianity has moved. Let, let me explain. When the church came into being, she came into being and her center was in Jerusalem. Not too long after that, the center of, of Christianity moved to Antioch. From Antioch, the center of Christianity moved to Rome. From Rome, it moved to someplace in Germany, someplace in Europe with Martin Luther and all. From, from the center of Christianity. From there it moved to London. From London it moved to the United States. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, do you any longer think that the center of Christianity is the United States? If you do, then you need to go read some mission, missions magazines because Korea and Ethiopia are sending missionaries to the United States. We are no longer this Christian land, and you see the outcome of that. Because I, I'm suggesting that the Spirit of God is once again on the move. He's moving. He's moving out of this place, this country, and may, I don't know where he's setting up shop. Maybe in China. Maybe in Africa. 
Um, but it appears from, from my limited perspective that a couple of factors, the, the regaining of Jerusalem and the, the lessening, at least in my little world, of Gentile conversions may signal the beginning of the end of the Jewish or, or the Gentile period. Gang, when Paul gives you this piece of prophecy, his, his, his goal is not to wow you. The ooh factor, uh-uh. He has a practical end in view. And that pra- why is this mystery revealed? It's revealed so that Gentile Christians might not be so blasted arrogant. He says that when he opens, lest you be wise in your own conceit. Lest we Gentiles think that we're the sumum bonum of, of the kingdom of God. We're not, folks. Very frankly, some of us see the Gentile church as shrinking. And Gentile conversion certainly slowing down. Western Christianity is surely in the decline. Um, to the point that, you know, when Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? You, you wonder, would he find it in Germantown? But guys, just know this, that Paul's practical goal in revealing this, piece, this insight as to what God plans to do with Israel, his practical goal is to see that you and I do not grow arrogant. There's nothing special about us, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing special about the Gentile church. There's nothing special about the American church. There's nothing special about we evangelicals. In fact, uh, you know, Paul in First um, Corinthians one, I just I just love this 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 passage where he says, "But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God." You know what you are, folks? You know what we are? Uh, The foolish in the world, the weak in the world, uh, the low and the despised in the world. Uh, We are the nothings that um, he's going to use to bring the somethings to naught. I say this, and with with this I'll close. Um, That little group that was here Sunday, the the miracles. Um, You know, does, does anybody in this room believe that that was quality music? I mean, it really wasn't. But wasn't it delightful? And I think one of the reasons that it's... I mean, we, we see challenges being overcome by those folks that none of us have. But one other thing with this, I'll shut up. I am fully convinced that one day God is going to take one such person and he's going to stand them up in heaven as a trophy of grace. And he is going to use them to shame the wise. This fella figured it out. What excuses could that possibly give you? Guys, there's nothing special about us. Let me tell you what we are. We are spiritual objects of a work that is contrary to nature. That work 
It's called regeneration. The reason that you sit here is because God, the one that engrafts God, exchanged your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh and put you in the people of God. So, lest you be wise in your own conceits, just know this. <laughs> the age of the Gentile is going to come to a close. And then, the partial hardening of Israel will be over and he will be dealing with Israel in a very big way. <laughs> That's what these verses are about. Let's quit. Our Father, uh, do that to us. Would you remind us of the, that the only reason that we stand where we stand in the, in the place of forgiveness and, and lovers of Jesus is because you did this, this, this incredible work that was contrary to grace, contrary to natural law, contrary to, to, uh, to natural law, and, and uh, done by a God of all grace, contrary to what, what we were, you changed us from the inside out. And you are able to do that with, with people as wicked as I. Might we never forget that we are who we are because of this work contrary to nature that has changed us from the inside out. We glory in it, Father, and pray that in some small way that you might use us to broadcast every piece of good news that we have come to love. Would you do that, Father, for Jesus' sake? In whose name we pray. Amen.